I'm Mika Simmons. This is the Happy Vagina podcast. And coming up, we have Gwyneth Paltrow. But first, I just want to tell you a little bit about our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Stripe and Stare, the brand that brings you the most comfortable knickers in the world. And I can vouch for that. They specifically address that hungry bum issue. No riding up, no constantly yanking your knickers out. Using sustainably sourced beechwood fibres, produced using 95% less water than cotton, the fibre is proven to be up to three times softer than cotton, and they are 95% biodegradable. Only 3% of the underwear market is sustainably sourced, a shocking fact for something we wear every day. You can support the Stripe and Stare mission at www.stripeandstare.com and shop with an exclusive discount code THV20 for 20% off. You're welcome. Welcome to The Happy Vagina, a podcast dedicated to celebrating pioneers in the female space who have made a difference in women's health, equality and relationships. Each week, we chat to an inspiring human as they explore the experiences that completely change their outlook, promising not only to educate, but also to entertain and enlighten. I'm Mika Simmons, and this week we are kicking off season four with the absolutely amazing, Oscar-winning, vibrator-making, progressive-thinking actress and Goop founder, Gwyneth Paltrow. Hi. (laughs) What a fantastic introduction you gave me there. Thank you. I think that's what's commonly known as a portfolio career. (laughs) (laughs) Or a schizophrenic one. Oh, no, 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 no. Women are allowed to do all of those things today. And, and be all of those things as much as we want to be. You're right. The reason that we are lucky enough to have you here today is because you have made one of the most exceptional pieces of work, your new show, Sex, Love and Goop, which follows on from the first season, Goop Lab. Also a vibrator that heats up, vibrates, and you can use it in water. And it's a pretty good price point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some supplements to help us access our libido, kitschly named DTF, which I've got to tell you, Gwyneth, I had to Google. (laughs) So did a lot of people. Don't worry. You're not alone. (laughs) But before we talk about these treasures, I just want to go back to the very beginning of Goop. And I know that Goop is about so much more than vaginas and vulvas. It's about human growth, breaking down shame and encouraging whole being and freedom. But let's start with vaginas. (laughs) When you were sat around your table in your kitchen in Notting Hill with your small crew of goofers, were you like, let's do vaginas? (laughs) Thinking you were going to be doing like Pilates yoga and juices. (laughs) The vagina piece was actually very incremental. So back in the day when I started Goop in Belsize Park, actually, not Notting Hill, and I I really wanted to, you know, I had a lot of passion to create something in the digital space that would help connect women and people to good things, things that would like shortcuts or great information. And so it started really, you know, around food and, and general wellness and some fashion and stuff like that, which it all, you know, it still is all of those things. But it wasn't really until I was a few years into it and I started to notice a couple of things. Like, first of all, anything to do with vaginas was incredibly triggering for people. So if we talked about a yoni egg or 
anything to do with female sexual health or God forbid, female desire, there was a huge outcry and there would be, you know, incredible like negativity and derision. And I was like, wow, this is so interesting. I wonder why this is so triggering for people. And then I spent a lot of time thinking about it and reading about it. And, you know, we could get into a whole discussion about the patriarchy and capitalism and why it behooves both systems to keep women down and sublimating and not asking for what they want and not feeling like they have a right to pleasure or really even their own true sexuality. But maybe that's another podcast. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, I realized that sexual wellness for women, like you can't really talk about wellness unless you're including sexual wellness as a really important pillar of how somebody feels about themselves, about their own body, about the way they relate to their sexuality. And I thought nobody really wants to talk about this and people are really freaked out. So I think we should really talk about it and try to create a space where people can have a conversation or feel free to ask a question or, you know, talk about something they might think is embarrassing. Like it's, it's really time that we stop regarding our sexuality that Mm. way. Hmm. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I've definitely kind of grown into my activist in this space and continue to. If someone had said to you in like 1999, <laughs> if you'd have gone to see a psychic and they'd have said to you that on the 21st of October, 2021, via your Goop newsletter, you were going to be sharing with the world, the world, your thoughts and feelings on orgasms before sleep, what would you have said to them? <laughs> I would have thought they were totally out of their minds (laughs) and that it would never happen. It's so important that you're doing that, that you're not just, that you're not just saying we need to talk about it and then keeping parts of it to yourself, that you're sharing the things that you struggle with or that help you as well. It's really, really important. Yeah. I mean, I think there are always things that I will keep private and I think that's okay too, but I do think it's important to to share and and be vulnerable if your intention is to offer that space, right? It's like, I'll go first and I'll, I'll tell you guys something hard or vulnerable so that you feel like you can maybe too, because so much healing comes out of transparency and vulnerability. Mm. One of my favorite moments in sex, love and goop is your reaction to the size of the clitoris. What did you say when you saw the size and shape of the clitoris? I don't know. What did I say? I don't remember. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it's enormous. It's like, this is a problem where our anatomy books don't have that in there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's crazy. We think the clitoris is just the little thing at the, at the top. And first of all, that can look incredibly different for every woman, as we showed in our first season of the Goop Lab. But also there's all of this amazing other other pieces to it. Mm. Mm. I'm like a woman in my 40s and I didn't even know this stuff. Yeah, but you know what? You know, I come from a long line of nurses and my mother and my grandmother didn't know either. And actually... I find it incredibly brave that you are willing to be that honest and vulnerable. As I've just said, it's like we need people to do that so that that's what breaks the shame down. Yeah. I did say to my father, I said, I said, I'm going to interview you. He said, what are you going to talk to her about? I said, swearing. 
He said, you can't talk to Gwyneth about swearing. I said, I can. He said, Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't swear. I said, oh yeah, she does. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I love about getting to see you in this season is that you are, it feels like you've really come into your own, you know, that you're kind of, you know, that you're a wild woman's coming out. Have you always sworn that much? Always. What is it about swearing that you love? Well, my dad was a big swearer. My dad was like a really, he was kind of like a tough, but also incredibly like sweet and sensitive on the inside. But he was a swearer, you know, it was always like, you know, I don't know, he was always saying bad words. And it's so expressive. And I think it's a way that I feel connected to my dad, you know, but it is quite like, I catch myself sometimes you know, on a panel or something swearing. And I'm like, Oh my God, what is wrong with me? Like, this is not appropriate at all. It's terrible. I've tried to stop. I try to stop almost daily, but I just think that there is, it's like a crescendo. Yeah. It's like, it's like part of the music. It's part of the language, the music of, of, of our language that we get to, to say something just with one word. What is, what is your favorite swear word? Um, the one I probably say the most is fuck. I think that's right. But I love like what I, I say, like weird, you know, sort of swear words a lot. Like, you know, what a fucking like ball dragger or like, you know, <laughs> like I find myself making up these weird, like, you know, what an ass hat wearing fucking asshole, you know, like I'll always <laughs> mix in some weird thing. And I'm like, what did I just say? I don't know. It's terrible. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you who you made up for. I, I've got some ideas, politicians and the second wave of feminism. They, they were very much about swearing. You know, there are certain words that are used to describe female genitalia that are then used as swear words. And the second wave of feminism were really like, we should not be using these words to describe, just to swear because we need to, now it's like, let's reclaim them. Mm -hmm. Where do you sit on that? Or do you think it's just people's individual choice? Well, it's funny the other day because my daughter actually said to me, why, why do we say, you know, he's such a pussy when that part of a female body can like birth an entire human being. And if you like wow. graze someone's balls, they're like, oh my God, ow. And I was like, you are absolutely right. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It was very cool. So uh, she's coming to it on her own. Mm. I think we need to switch it. I think it, it seems to me that testicles are far more sensitive. Mm. Mm. I mean, other than cock we don't really use men's genitalia as a swear word i think i think we should not be using it as a way yes we do we say like what a knob oh yeah that's one well the british do do you say that in america no not at all no but i can i i still get my british curse words out and then people are like what did you just say i'm so pleased that you've taken some of us home with you gwyneth of course you guys are a big part of my life, you know. Yeah. I love living there and my children are half British and it's a really important part of who I am. Well, I know that you'll come back once we get through this crazy period, at I least will. for a break to see us all. I will. Your new libido enhancer, as I mentioned, is called DTF, which I had to Google and anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about, what does it mean, Gwyneth? It means down to fornic. Fuck. <laughs> I was going to say fornicate. fornicate. 
It means it means down to frolic. It means down to frolic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. How did that come about? I mean, I love it. It's so kitsch and so... It's so funny. Well, we always, you know, we have these funny naming conventions at Goop because I think it's also part of how you, you know, make light of stuff and make things easier to talk about. And, you know, for example, we have vitamins that are called high school genes that help with metabolism and stuff like that. So we're always naming things. We we love to name things in a cheeky way. And this particular supplement, it's so good. It really, it's got um, adaptogens to support mood and it has a clinical dose of fenugreek, which is showed to help women with libido. And the reason that we made it was because we heard this refrain from so many of our friends and ourselves around a drop in libido that happens, you know, I think that can happen cyclically as a woman over time, right? Like, so when you're twenties, you know, you may be good, you may not be, but you know, you tend to have more libido in their twenties. And then when they have kids, oftentimes it really goes away or sometimes with body image, it can go away or with a partner that doesn't feel good, it can go away. Or when you get perimenopausal like me, it can go away or be decreased. And, you know, the common complaint was I want to have libido. Like I don't want my libido to be low. Like I want to be interested in sex, but it's really hard for me. I come home from work and then I'm thinking about all this stuff and I'm making dinner and I'm dealing with supervising homework and I just don't feel like it. And so we thought, wouldn't it be great if there was some way that we could help all of us women connect more easily with that part? And so it was kind of like a a pretty serious intention that we had. And that's why we thought it would be really funny to counteract that by calling it down to fuck, because it's just so funny. (laughs) I think. Gwyneth, do you think that you are like a little bit of an anarchist? Oh, completely. (laughs) Do you think you have a sprinkling of like liking to shock people? Oh yeah. I love it. And it's so funny to me that like most people, you're like the only person who's ever asked me that. It always strikes me like, how do people not know that I'm like, intentionally punk rock. Like, you know, like I, there is that streak in me. I guess I just don't look like it. Well, there's lots of pre prejudgment around you as a woman. I think to a certain extent, while yeah. um, I find that kind of misogyny really makes me cross, it does give you a great backdrop to have some fun with. It does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. I think the fact that you're willing to say, I didn't know that the clitoris was that big, I didn't know that the vulva and the vagina were two different things. Neither did I, Gwyneth, you know, neither did I. But I do think that because you have a phenomenal profile, it sets you up for a bit of judgment. And I think that it's really, it's the thing that that actually is the most profound about the work that you offer people a way to identify. As a woman, how do you stay resilient and keep going on this alternative path? Because it it is being seen as alternative and, and it's not actually, it's the future. Yeah. I just know that. And I'm a hundred percent fully bought in to the fact that it is the future and that women in their fully in their power and who have fully forgiven themselves and who are really connected to themselves. Like I think that will change the world Mm. and I'm an advocate for that. And even if women have a completely different outlook or opinion to me, I just want women to be a hundred percent themselves and feel totally radically comfortable. So I don't know. It's so weird, but like, it doesn't bother me. I don't think about the fact that 
you know, I have detractors. I just like, cause I think it's bullshit. Like I think there, as you say, it's just projection. It's not really to do with anything that about me. And I take my work really seriously. Mm, you do work really hard. And actually you really walk your talk. We have a mutual uh, friend and, and colleague, Anastasia Achilios, and she said to me, Gwyneth loves women, like really loves women. And, you know, I was talking to someone about this yesterday, that when we were young and, and we were first working in the industry, in the entertainment industry, women didn't love women. Women were often competing against each other. It took me until this age to understand that so many of the slights or things that might have happened to me as I was a young woman were probably because the older woman or my peer wasn't able to like connect to what she was really feeling, you know, and women were always competing against each other because, you know, the patriarchy essentially set us up to do that. So being someone with the reach that you've got and continuing to champion just loving each other as women is actually a huge, a huge gift to to women everywhere, I think. You know, it's funny when I was about, I want to say I was 19 and I was starting auditioning and, you know, I was making some good progress and it was like getting between me and one, one girl for, you know, we were getting, I was getting all the way to the end and then I kept losing out to, you know, it's between you and one other girl, it's between you and one other girl. And then I lost to the, and that happened a number of times. And I remember I was in the kitchen with my mother in New York city and I found out I lost this part and I had wanted it so badly. And I had convinced myself like, this is going to be the start to my whole career. And like from this, there'll be no looking back. And I know this part is mine and I didn't get it. And I was in the kitchen with my mother and I was crushed and I was angry and hurt, you know, all the regular stuff when you get disappointed in life. And I started to say, and you know, she's not even, I don't, you know, something negative. She's not even that good or whatever. And my mother stopped me dead in my tracks. And she said, don't you ever, ever speak ill of a colleague, another woman, another actress. If you didn't get the part, that means it's not your part. It's simply her part and your part will come. So stop thinking of it like that. Stop thinking there's scarcity. There's only one piece of the pie and you're fighting somebody for it. There's a lot of pie Mm. and you're going to have your pie and don't ever do that again. And it just was such a wonderful lesson. And I got it and thank God I was only 19 when I got it. And from then on, I looked at it very differently. Yeah. And I think I've taken that sentiment throughout my life. and, And it's true. I adore women. I have the most incredible friendships with women. I go out of my way to help women who are starting businesses or entrepreneurs. Like if I can, I will, because I just, I do, I adore women Mm -hmm. quite simply. Well, you certainly helped us enormously by amplifying the work we're doing at The Happy Vagina and you're a walking, talking, living evidence of she's not your competition. She's proof it can be done. You know, you're shining the light for lots of people and still learning along the way. That's the beautiful, beautiful thing is how humble you are to get it wrong and to laugh about it and swear a lot. All the time. (laughs) I fuck up all the time. You know, it's like, it's part, as you say, it's part of the thing. And, and again, so important, 
you know, as important it is to be an example like you are for women who are, have a voice and are forging a path and having success. It's also as important to be an example for those women of making mistakes. Mm. Mm. You know, it's okay. We're going to take a very quick ad break. And before we do, I wanted to let you know that this podcast was produced in association with Albright, the leading career network for women. Got a mission, a five-year plan, or an outrageous dream, Albright will have your back. They had mine. Visit www.albrightcollective.com to join their free community today or download the Albright app available in the App Store. Albright, a global sisterhood for ambitious women. You know, I, I think that there's been some suggestions along the way that Goop is for a certain type of woman or person. And the thing that I love the most about the work you're doing with the Netflix shows, so you are bringing these ideas to the masses. When you were planning both seasons, really, did you did you have in mind, I know this might sound like an obvious question, but no. have you been thinking, we need to get this out, out to the masses? Yeah, and I think... You know, there, I think there was more broadly this idea that wellness is for the elite, right? And that at the beginning, that was sort of a, a well accepted idea. And I think that's bullshit. And it actually makes me furious because everybody can be connected to themselves, everybody can make strides to feel better in their body, to, to live in integrity, to you know, hydrate, to walk, to work instead of, you know, we can all do things to take small steps, to feel better and to get connected. And, and I think again, like for our second podcast, I think that this idea that, you know, wellness is for the elite is another mechanism of capitalism to keep people down. But that's, that's a whole other story. The great news is that people by and large are waking up to this idea that they have agency over how they feel and they can have autonomy over their health. And you hear conversations, maybe your aunt, I bet, is having conversations she might not be having 10 years ago about her body, her emotional state, her her wellness. Like this is really sweeping through the culture. And, you know, I don't want to say we were a part of that. Maybe we were, maybe we weren't, but we certainly were very early in talking about all kinds of ways that people can take action to feel better in their lives. And yes, it's also true that if you're looking at it from the perspective of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, maybe meditation, if you're, if you're worried about survival, you're not going to be thinking about meditation, but you know, there is also an argument to be made that meditation can potentially help with one's survival. So, you know, I think it just all sort of needs and mind opening. But it's not either or, right. is it? I think there's this this kind of like, it's either or. Like, so if someone asked me recently, you know, do you think feminism is, is reaching all women now? And I said, well, you know, someone who's living on benefits on a council estate in London and working out how to feed their kids may not be thinking about feminism, but that doesn't mean that at some stage it can't, doesn't mean that it won't be enabling them in other ways. And it doesn't mean that that won't come in. And it certainly doesn't mean we should say, because that person is from that background and is struggling in those ways, we shouldn't allow them to have access to really fantastic ideas around health and well-being. I agree with you completely. And I, and I also think that it's, 
this this movement towards ourselves is much bigger and you know, women from all socioeconomic backgrounds, I believe are feeling like, hey, maybe that's not okay for a man to talk to me like that at work. You know, I've now seen examples A, B, and C in the culture. So that's all part of it as well. You know, we we just Mm. can't be prescriptive about the, what are the particular things that are making women get closer to themselves? But I think it's, I think it's happening. Mm, It's very exciting. So the new season, (laughs) firstly, anyone that's listening, bring tissues. Yeah. I cried a lot too. Oh, I realized even more than I knew already that I find intimacy terrifying. Same. And you really go there. It's absolutely phenomenal. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about what happens in in this series? Yeah, sure. So we we follow five couples who are at various points of friction or in one case, almost dissolution of a relationship. And in one case, you know, just so excited about their relationship that they don't want to bring in old destructive patterns that they know that they have. And we found these amazing, brave... (laughs) I, they're amazing. I, so brave. So willing. They are amazing. To be vulnerable and do things on camera that I really never thought possible. But we follow them through their journeys with these incredible experts, these healers, these, you know, people who they're experts in these sexual healing modalities. And we see them really open up and make incredible progress. And there's a particular very happy moment in the show that's, um, that I won't give away, but I was so moved and it's so satisfying watching it too. It's like, it resonates with, I think almost everybody, some aspect of these couples will be resonant, right? For sure. For sure. And I got so much identification and I got identification with some of the heterosexual men and what they were feeling, you know, along with the, I'm not gay, but the gay, the two female gay couples. And, you know, I had to stop it a lot. Yeah. Gwyneth, I had to stop it a lot and breathe because, and I, and I would actually genuinely say to people that when they're watching it, they need to like allow themselves to process what they're seeing because it's, it's the education that we never, ever, ever got. That's what you're giving us. Because it's like an education in intimacy, right? It's not sex education. It's relational education. It's, you know, what happens in an intimate relationship when things start to go wrong and express themselves sexually, because that's sort of the first place, right? That it will go. Mm -hmm. But I also learned things that I didn't know I needed to learn, like in the last episode, and this isn't a spoiler, but one of the, the, the women uses the word that she likes compression during sex. And, you know, I was like, oh, that's what I like. Like, and I know that might sound really naive, but I know how I enjoy sex. I know what I need to enjoy sex. But that word, in a way, it it freed me from shame because I think it gave me a name for what I like and a name that felt whole, it felt holistic. Mm. And like, I could say that to someone. You know, one of the big themes in the show is about communication and being able to say to someone, this is what I want. And I can definitely say to someone, I like compression, you know, and, and that's like, that's a huge, a huge gift. The communication aspect of it is really, I'd say, aside from the intimacy, that's the main theme. 
is how to communicate with your lover. Yes. And I think that it's amazing to see it, to see examples of it happening because it's so difficult. And I think, I mean, this might be a generalization, but I do think that culturally women are not taught to say, could we try this? Or, you know what, that actually doesn't feel that good. Like we don't say stuff like that. You know, we're not taught to be that honest. So I don't know, for me, that was what I learned. Like, man, I wonder if I could have the balls to say that. Like, I would like to try this. It still freaks me out. Like, you know. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But one of your practitioners actually says, and this is not verbatim, I don't remember, but she says, we are so used to putting other people's needs in front of our own. And I do feel that's, I think it's actually human nature, that kind of codependency. It's even worse when it comes to sexual relations. But I do think for women, it's harder. We're so used to making ourselves small. It's so historic and systemic and it's come through a historical line. You know, it's a huge thing. But the show gives people, one of the things I loved was this thing about the erotic blueprint. So like to have a framework that allows you to understand in a really safe way what it is that you like, which of course might change. And then it makes it easier to ask for what you want. What Can you tell us a bit about the erotic blueprint? Yeah. So the erotic blueprint is a system by a woman named Jaya, who's on the show, who credits another sexologist with kind of laying some of the groundwork for it. And then she really got interested and drilled down. And, and she, she believes that we all have an erotic blueprint and some of us have all of them. Some of us are much more dominant in one and usually have a secondary one, but the types are sensual, energetic, which means, you know, you like longing or it looks across the room or the anticipation sexual, which is sort of like how we would think of sex in our culture or like that imagery of genitalia turns you on or like fornication turns you on. Kinky, which is all that you can imagine. And shapeshifter, which is, I think, everything. You know, she said so many couples come to her saying, we just are mismatched. You know, we can't align sexually, but we love each other so much and we don't want it to destroy our relationship. And then with some work and some talking and some unpacking, she's able to help couples understand, oh, well, he has a sexual blueprint. Therefore, he just kind of wants to do it out of nowhere. And I, for example, am a energetic or sensual. So I need a lot of warm up. And once couples understand then they don't blame each other yeah. and they don't feel disappointed and like, oh, you didn't read my mind. You didn't know what I want. You just say, no, it's just, we have different blueprints. So let's work to meet in the middle. Yeah. I'd love to go away and do do some work. I reckon I'm probably energetic and kinky, but one of my favorite couples was the heterosexual couple in episode one where you know, they're sat at the beginning and he's basically saying, look, I just look at her and want to have sex with her. Like, it's like, she's there. I want to have sex with her. And, and his partner was like, I don't feel like that. And then what transpires was that she liked kinky. I know. She's like, what? I'm washing dishes. Like, what are you talking about? 
I know, but the washing up does. I, I think that's quite common for men to want to have sex with women when they're doing the washing up or filling the dishwasher. <laughs> Some kind of like caveman, prehistoric, ugh, ugh, the woman doing my yeah, washing. There's lots of uh, <laughs> lots of bending over too when you're loading the dishwasher, I guess. <laughs> but but I, I love the fact that she then found that, that she was kinky and actually one of the or one of her aspects in the erotic blueprint was kinky, which you would never have believed at the beginning because it felt like she was, it felt like she was a bit repressed, like she was, but actually what it was is that she didn't know who she was and she wasn't getting her needs met, right? So she wasn't able to access her sensuality. And Damon, her partner, he was threatened at the beginning by it, Yes, right? You saw him be like, whoa, what does that mean? And like, I'm super freaked out by this. And then he makes a conscious decision to kind of go with it. And then it all opened up. Yeah. And also the thing that she talks about is she talks about kinky not being kind of BDSM, that kinky can be anything. Like if for you having sex while drinking water is kinky, <laughs> then that's kinky. It's like... Uh, now it's I'm like just worried about my the... sheets, Mika. I'm like, <laughs> no. I would say that's a misplaced worry, but anyway. <laughs> it was a really amazing experience. Let's go back to the clitoris. Okay. We get to see women be taught how to really connect to their bodies and in the last episode I mean really they go all the way finding how to get pleasure and you say something really insightful in that episode you say I think that shame is the most corrosive emotion that we have and I am completely on the same page as you it destroys human beings it destroys us it destroys us. Just coming back to you a little bit, your journey with shame, how first, because I think probably it's only in the last three or four years for me that I've started to go, oh, I feel shame shame about way more than I realized I felt shame about. When did you start to find that? I think it's a long process and I probably will be working on it for the rest of my life because the programming was so strong. Mm right? The programming around being bad or, you know, doing something wrong or, you know, not falling in line or whatever it was, you know, and not only sexually, just, just in terms of, you know, being a woman growing up when I did something happened around the time I turned 38, where I started to feel like something's changing. Like it almost felt like I was getting a big software upgrade that really happened, you know, when I turned 40. And I was like, I've been thinking about myself in such an incorrect way, you know, like leading with a negative voice and being really disconnected from myself. You know, I think in order to fit in and be, you know, seen as like a nice, good person, oftentimes we end up sacrificing ourselves in so many ways. And it's that thing of like, when you don't rock the boat and, you know, then everybody, everybody likes you, but you. Mm. And there, there is a cost to being your full self. And we're not taught that that's part of the journey. So it really wasn't until I was past 40 that I started to 
think a lot about this stuff and think like, I don't want to feel this way about myself and my body and, or anything. Like I want to be accepting of myself. I want to be friends with myself. One of the things I think you say in the season is that you are also in the energetic, kinky, erotic blueprint, you think? Yes. So I took the erotic blueprint. Yeah. You've obviously moved into making sex toys and sex toys are heavily featured in in the season. As I mentioned at the beginning, you've made a vibrator that is huge, hot (laughs) and waterproof. (laughs) I told you, you don't need to worry about your sheets, Gwyneth. (laughs) Oh my God. I love that you you start with huge. That's hilarious. Yeah. Huge. I mean, I, yeah, I'm just excited for mine to arrive. (laughs) But in this, in the season, you know, it, it it does heavily feature not just sex toys like vibrators, but also in terms of exploring kink in episode one, there's a lot of toys and stuff. What do you think still needs to happen for women to feel, and and couples, because I think one of the things that does happen is that often men feel, or, or the partner feels put out by the use of a sex toy. What needs to happen for women to be free of the shame Mm. around using vibrators, pleasure, climax? Well, I think it's, it all really comes down to what is the quality of the relationship you have with your partner? And do you have a trusting, safe, non-judgmental relationship? Because if you don't, it's going to be really hard. I think it's going to be almost impossible. And you might take baby steps to test out like, is this a relationship where I can be my true self and, you know, where I don't have to feel judged? And I think a lot of it really comes with how do you frame a conversation, right? It's like something that I've learned from the show that there's a way that you can ask for something that's non-threatening, right? There's, if you frame a conversation that you, it's not that you've done something wrong. It's just that maybe this would be interesting to talk about or to think about or to try. It could be like a potential added layer to your relationship. And so I think in a lot of relationships, if it's set up in a non-threatening way, that people would be surprised how willing their partners would be to listen to them. Mm. But it's just fear, Gwyneth. Yes, exactly. We sit in fear. We sit in deep rooted fear. Yeah. If there's one thing that you've learned from the season or from this work in general that's either helped you or, or, or your relationship, if you wanted to talk about that, what would it be? What's the thing from the show, from the show itself? What's, I mean, I loved learning about the pendulum nerve. Oh yeah. The pedendum. The, the, the nerve that feeds the genital, the pedendum, yeah. the pedendum nerve, which yeah. means shame. The nerve that feeds our genitals means shame. I'm like, oh my God, fucking hell. (laughs) This is a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Rename the nerve. Rename the nerve. What's your favorite thing you've learned or that's helped you in your relationship? Either or. I think I need to make t-shirts that say rename the nerve. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) For me, it was so important to watch these people, these amazing couples find the bravery and the vulnerability like that to me, I'm like, I really, if I take one thing away from this show, it's, I would like to show up like that. 
Like I would like to show up like that for my husband. I would like to show up like that for myself. It's like we, I guess on some level, we know we should do that. I think, I don't know. I don't even know that I had ever really thought about it. No, you're talking about being present. Yeah. And I I really felt like, wow, this is powerful stuff, you know? So that's what I'm going to try to bring into my life. What makes your vagina happy today, Gwyneth Paltrow? (laughs) (laughs) You know, my husband really makes my vagina happy. I love that. He's my favorite. Thank you, Brad. For keeping Gwyneth happy. Uh, we're thrilled. We love how much he supports you and just, you know, and all your family are supporting you. Thank you, Gwyneth, for giving us your time and keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing and groundbreaking. I will indeed. And you too. Thank you so much for being such an amazing voice and for your platform and all your work. You're incredible. Happy premiere day. Everybody go and watch. Thank you so much. Yeah. Sex, love, yes. goop. Go, go, Sex, go. Love, <laughs> Out on Netflix. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so, so much. I'm Mika Simmons. That was Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Happy Vagina Podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. This episode of the Happy Vagina podcast was brought to you by the brand that brings you the most comfortable knickers in the whole world, Stripe and Stare. 95% biodegradable and proven to be up to three times softer than cotton. Use the code THV20 for 20% off the knickers you will never want to take off. That's THV20 for 20% off the knickers you will never want to take off. Go to www.stripeandstare.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.